God, you know exactly where we are right now, each and every one of us. You know what our day's been like, and you know what our week's been like. And God, really ask for your word just to be spoken into our hearts now. That you will speak to each and every one of us. You'll spur us on. You'll encourage us. You'll guide us. And we'll leave this evening just feeling so much closer to you. Thank you for everything that you've done and just guide us through this evening. Amen. So, I'll say it again. Good evening. Good evening. Joe, you're better the first time. Um, so, as you can see, it's every day and it's all about prayer. And Rachel just did a brilliant job this morning unpacking a bit of prayer. Don't worry, I'm not going to do the same thing again for those people that were here this morning. Um, but before we even look at prayer, I want to look at the word every day. Now, I've been sitting there through the uh, series that we, well, since we started every day. And there's been a question on my mind since the first time that we brought up the whole everyday teaching series. And I know it's got to have been on your minds as well. Is my everyday the same as the Queen's? Admit it, it's fine, admit it, you know. You've all been sitting there going, is my everyday the same as the Queen's? Because I've been thinking about the word everyday and how different everybody's everyday is. We all assume that we do the same things. So I thought I'd find out how similar my everyday would be to that of the Queen. So this is the Queen's everyday. She wakes up naturally with no alarm. She gets up and left on her bed are a selection of the morning papers, which she scans as well as her post, which is already opened for her, and she reads it, which is very nice. But as she puts it, she doesn't just open and read the post, she scans her correspondence. (laughs) After she's scanned her correspondence, she meets with two secretaries at the same time who come in and make her sign whatever while she has breakfast. This is still in bed. I love this. After this, she gets up, she gets through a routine, and she devotes the rest of her morning to going out and just meeting people. That's what her morning's about. And it must be hard work meeting all those people because then she lunches privately on her own, somewhere quietly. After she's had lunch, she goes out and spends the first half of the afternoon meeting more people. But then, if it's a Wednesday, the end of her afternoon is spent with the Prime Minister, or if it's not a Wednesday, it's just with some other minister that they decide to send down to the palace to meet her. And they usually give over a load of reports and she spends her evening reading those reports and after that she gets very tired and decides to go out for a meal and evening entertainment at a variety of locations. And that's generally what she does seven days a week. I think the Queen does nothing, her every day is not like mine at all. <laughs> so I want you to think about what is your everyday like. In fact, I'm going to ask for a bit of participation here. So I want you to think about if you had five, if you could say five things that you're guaranteed to do every day, what would those five things be that you're guaranteed to do every day? So just where you are, talk to the people next to you, a couple of minutes, you can tell them a primary school teacher. <laughs> talk to the people next to you, a couple of minutes. What are the five things that you are guaranteed to do every day? <laughs> right. So, nice to hear that everyone's obviously does something with their days because they're all talking, which is great. So, what do you do every day? Who wants to call something out? Sleep, eat. Do your makeup. That's not in my every day. Walk, play football. Go to the toilet. Thanks, Andy. A cup of tea. Listen to people. Oh, isn't that lovely, listening to people. I wish my class listened to me every day. Anyone else? Pardon? Repair. 
Oh, prepare. Oh, preparation. Very nice. Some of those sounding really quite spiritual. Now, I, I wrote down my five, and um, I was slightly disappointed when I came up with my five that I do every day when you, when you sit down and look at it. And I had, this is the order, so I must, it must be priorities in my head. The first thing that I put down that I do every day is that I eat. That's number one priority. Number two is read. Number three is meet and talk with people, so I am a bit like the Queen. Uh, number four is listen to music. And then I got really stumped of something that I'm guaranteed to do every day. So I put number five as sitting down. Um, so, oops. I'm not that much like the Queen. So then I started to think, well, what was the everyday of the early church like? We've been looking at Acts. And uh, I think when you look at what the actual fellowship and community of the early church was like, you get an idea of what their everyday was. And we've heard this a couple of times if you've been coming to some of the other of the everyday services. This is Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. And it says, they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's as much as I can get on the early churches every day. Looking at what they do every day, in my list, we've got two out of five, which isn't bad, in common. But doesn't that say so much about what the early church's every day was like? And Ray introduced and packed prayer really well this morning. But I just want to look at that first verse of what the early church did. They devoted the, themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It's in the first verse, prayer, something that they did every day. And I couldn't help but get away from that word devoted. They devoted themselves. And I started to think, what's this word devoted mean to me? Other than like Valentine's Day cards, which I don't really get any Valentine's Day cards. But if I was, I'm pretty sure they'd say the word devoted. Liz, I want some more Valentine's Day cards, please. But they say, it's something that you read on Valentine's Day cards. Or something when you love someone is when you really read the word devoted. And I'm not sure that's what it means here. So I started to look at the meaning of the word devoted. And it also means to be loyal to something. It's something that you give yourself over to. It's something that you commit yourself to talking of, studying of, and displaying. And that's what the early church did with prayer. They gave themselves over to the talk of, the study of, and the display of prayer. That's an awesome thing to be committed to every day. I couldn't help but just be blown away of the power of what that means. And when you look at the book of Acts and what the early church did, literally prayer is inescapable. When we started to talk about this, I thought, right, I've got prayer. I look at Acts and literally it's everywhere. There's over, over 40 references to prayer and that's just, you know, the basics of it. You can't help but think that's part of their everyday. Sometimes they have meetings, it begins every time or it ends with prayer. They prayed in almost every situation. So I started to look at actually... When and how and where did the early church pray? And we're going to look at some of those things this evening. One of the first times that the early church prayed is when they had to make a decision. Um, and I'm going to leap around Acts all through this evening. So please, you feel free to try and follow me with your Bibles. But if you don't want to, it's all right. So the first one is when they had to make a decision. And Acts 1 verses 21 to 24 
said that, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart, show us which of these men you have chosen. This isn't a small decision that we're reading about here. This is quite a big one. They're talking and praying about adding another member to their leadership. It would shape the future of their church. And for me, this, is, this, this isn't a bit of scripture. It's about who. It's about what they did. It's about the process. It was something that was going to change and shape things. It was a huge decision. And they offered it up in prayer as a community before they did anything else. Now, I once heard someone say to me that you've got to pray before any decision that you make. And I heard that when I was 16, so my instant response was, what, so I've got to pray if I want a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? Because that's what you do when you're that age. You decide to be as awkward as possible. But bless him, my youth leader was really quite patient with me. I was like, don't be ridiculous. But my youth leader did say, how many decisions do you make every day that affect the course of either your path or someone else's? And I thought, well, that's huge. I don't do that very often at all. But my youth leader started to say to me, what about words when you've spoken into someone's life, whether you've meant to or not? When someone's come to you and asked you for advice? Whether you've heard some gossip and you've decided whether to act on it or not? All those decisions that I've made of whether I should say something or whether I should do something affect my future and the future of other people. And he challenged me in my youth. He said, are you taking those decisions on whether you act on something to God first? And that really challenged me. And it still does. And for years, I prayed about these decisions. And I was waiting for that flash of light moment where I'd pray to God about something. And he would appear magically and go, this is the answer. (laughs) And that's yet to have happened to me. But I don't think offering your decisions in prayer before God is about that necessarily. It's about showing a dependence on God. It's about being in relationship with God, saying, God, this is something that I'm struggling with. This is something I'm thinking about. I want you in this with me. It's inviting God in to be in that decision with you. And then God can work through us for his will. It's really quite powerful. I looked again at what else, how else the early church prayed. They prayed together as a congregation. In Acts 4, verses 24 to 31, it says, When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they prayed. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, uh, the governor and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I love this, verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. That's a massive prayer as a congregation. What a moment. 
I, whenever I'm reading the Bible, I try and put myself in it and try and imagine it in my head. And it doesn't matter how many times I read that, I really struggle to put myself in that verse where that early church were filled with the Holy Spirit. But God really raised a question in me and really challenged me. And he asked me if I believe in the power of congregational prayer. Do do I believe that if we stand together as a congregation where prayer happens, that great things will happen as a result of it? And I started to think about times at Zion when we pray together. And literally almost every time that we're here in a service, we pray. We stand up as a congregation and we pray, whether that's during the worship, before the worship, after the worship. Guaranteed, almost every time we meet, we pray as a congregation together. And God said to me, what do you do when you pray together as a congregation? And I felt really, really challenged because I know at some points in those times, I've stood there and I've really taken the prayer in that's coming from the front and it's in my heart and it's in my mind and I'm reaching out and I'm really praying with the prayer that's been led from the front. But I also know I've had times where I've stood up, I've reached my hands out because I've said it, I've nodded, I've hummed, I've even amended in all the right places, but in my head I've been too busy doing my shopping list. <laughs> Have I engaged in the power of congregational prayer? Or did I just give it lip service? And then I started to read that verse again. The meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. Can you imagine? Just reaching out in congregational prayer, standing together as one body and saying, this is what we're praying. Wow. I want to see that. The early church, they also prayed in tough times. Acts 12 verse 5 says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And it's such a simple verse. But just let that just sink in of what they did. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. My first question was, what does earnestly mean? And so I started to think, and they started to pray in a very serious manner, in a manner that really mattered to them. Something that it was deeply moving for them in a way as if it was affecting themselves in a very deep fashion. They weren't in prison. It was Peter. They knew him. But they prayed as a church as if it was for themselves. Did, it ma- did Peter know it was being prayed for? I don't know. But did it matter? Of course it doesn't. What I do know that matters is that they really, really wanted God to move in this situation that they were reaching out as a congregation with love. That a part of their body, the body of Christ, was in pain, was hurt, was in prison. And they wanted to cry out and speak to God on their behalf. Started to think about what it is to be the body of Christ and what it is when each of us hurt. And God gave me this this picture because I bite my nails all the time. And last night I sat at home and I had four plasters on my fingers because I'd bitten my nails down so far. All they did was sting really badly and I I couldn't stop biting. And the sting was just incredible. And God was like, when one part of the body hurts, you feel it. And it was just a little part of my finger that I'd bitten down too far, but it was in so much pain. I really felt it. When one part of the body of Christ is in pain, it affects us. 
We should feel it. We should reach out to God in prayer and pray for the body of Christ. Just like what the early church did as they prayed for Peter. It's also something that they do themselves when they themselves are in tough positions and they're hurting. Again, you look at Paul and Silas when they're in prison in Acts 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. I mean, I love that. They're in prison. Now, I've been in a holding cell and that's bad enough. And it's scary and it's lonely. But these guys, they're in prison. They have no idea when they're coming out and it's late and they're there and they're praying and they're singing songs about God. In their tough time, they still managed to make God the center and reached out. And God really challenged me of when I'm having a tough time, am I still willing to turn to God first? To pray and to worship. How else did the early church pray? It keeps going. They prayed for other people whenever they met them. I always remember thinking about praying for people. Um, as a young person, as a youth leader, we used to go to Soul Survivor quite a lot. And um, Mike Pilavachi used to tell a story about when he went to America with Matt Redman. They went to visit this uh, famous healer. I can't remember the name of the guy. You never do with these things. But it, they got off the plane, they're at the airport. And the, uh, the guy that they went to visit pulled up in his big Cadillac. And so Mike Pilavachi got in the front, Matt Redman sat in the back. And the guy that they went to visit was there driving. They're on the freeway driving. And uh, the guy had no seatbelt on at all, the guy in the front of the car that they've gone to see. And literally, they're flying down the freeway. The, head, the wind is blowing through their hair. They're feeling the speed. And suddenly, behind Mike, Matt Redmond sneezed. The instant response from the guy who was driving the car, he let go of the steering wheel, turned round, laid hands on Matt Redmond, and started to pray against the illness that was coming through his body on the spot. <laughs> Mike tells it as he freaks out and grabs a steering wheel. There's people screaming. Cars are flying everywhere. I'm sure it wasn't that dramatic. And he literally, apparently, said, this guy prayed just the shortest prayer. I'm just asking for healing for Matt Redmond. And then turned around, grabbed the steering wheel off Mike, and carried on driving as if nothing had happened. And Mike's like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like, well, he's, he's sick. I've got to pray for him. This guy prayed for everyone who showed any sign of illness anywhere. And he saw a lot of healing. Was that because he prayed for everyone that he saw was sick? <laughs> What a great heart that was, just to go and pray for anyone the minute they show signs of illness. But the early church didn't just pray for people when they were sick and pray for healing in person. I mean, I'm going to list quite a few scriptures here where it just happens. Acts 8 verse 15, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 9 40, but Peter asked them all to leave the room, then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up Tabitha, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Acts 20 verse 36, when he had finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed with them. 21 verse 5, when he returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with them, and there we knelt and prayed. I just, it's inescapable. That whenever the early church were meeting other people, they prayed. Didn't matter what the situation was, they prayed. There was never a meeting deemed too big or too small for prayer. There was never a situation that was too big or too small for prayer. 
being an intern here at Zion two days a week, I get to spend a lot of time with Dan Bennett. And just getting to be around Dan has been an absolute pleasure. It really has. But one thing that always hits me is the power of prayer when I'm with Dan. Whether we're meeting together, whether we meet other people, it doesn't matter where we are. Prayer always happens. Whether it's at the start of seeing someone at the end, whether it's just us two talking together, prayer happens. And I'm seeing God in a holy way because I'm not seeing him just when I feel like seeing him. I'm seeing God move all the time. And why? Because I'm being in that connection with him because we're praying the whole time. I've seen that prayer is relevant in any situation and possible in all situations. And I felt God asked me the question, am I willing to offer prayer to anyone that I see and meet? People can always say no. It doesn't take that much to say, do you mind if we pray or can I just pray for you? Over the last six to eight months that I've been here at Zion, I've made it a personal goal of mine to ask anybody that I go and see if they want prayer. And that doesn't matter if it's Christian or non-Christian. And in eight months, only two people have ever said no. And there's been people that have been thinking, they're not going to go for this. There's no way they're going to go for this. Because I know their background. I know how they feel about prayer and God. And yet, because they've been in a tough time, they've never said no to prayer. It's only in extreme circumstances you'll find that. But people did, again, feel free to say no. Prayer for the early church was a lifestyle. And God was really challenging me on, is it a lifestyle for me? The last one I want to look at is, the early church prayed when they were alone and when they had quiet time. It was something that they reserved for those moments when they were on their own as well. And it was something that they also made time for. Acts 10 verse 30. Cornelius replied, four days ago I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. He had a time where he prayed. Awesome. And this is the one I'm really jealous of. Acts 10 verse 9. The next day as Cornelius' messages were near in town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. I would love a flat roof to go and pray on. You know when you see on TV people have those garden roofs and they've got a sun lounger on it? I would love one of those places where I could just go and have a quiet time and pray. The early church found those quiet times to go and pray. Jesus found those times to go and pray. And do you know what? I think found's the wrong word. They didn't find the time. They made the time. I know that life is incredibly busy. And we're driven to go from schedule to meeting to place to place. Because I do it myself. And I know I don't make the time enough. But I know that when I have made the time... I've really felt the benefits. I've felt closer to God. But I know I need to make more. And you could keep going through the book of Acts and there's loads more examples out there of just what the early church did with prayer. But you might be sitting there going, well, that was back then. Well, how is prayer accessible today? And it is. It's just as easy and it's just as accessible and it's just as useful. It's not useful, it's essential. If we look over at our lovely plinths of power, there's a phone there. Now, I didn't. What I really wanted was a mobile phone, but as Dan Bennett and Lisa Park said to me, the mobile phone on display doesn't really show a lot, so we've got a proper phone there. But I wanted a mobile phone to symbolize prayer. Why? It's simply it's a communication device. That's what prayer is it's just you talking with God. There's nothing special about it, nothing magical. There's no big hype, it's you and God talking. 
Think about what you can do on your phone as well these days. It's just awesome. Some people still use them for ringing people. <laughs> but I always think about it of when I'm ringing someone. That's, that's my quiet time with God. That's my one-to-one. That's my face time with God. Where I make time to speak to him. We text people. In fact, I, I can't believe this. When I was first got my mobile phone when I was 18, which was 13 years ago, I always said, I'm not going to text people. Nope not going to do it but now I find I'm texting people more than I'm actually ringing people and speaking to people and I wish I didn't but I do but I do send up text prayers all the time to God (laughs) all the time throughout my day whenever I'm meeting someone and something's moved me a quick text up to God God please help me God help this situation you don't have to do it out loud and make a grand ceremony and you know and light the candles and get the goat out you don't have to do that sort of stuff it's just a quick message, God, be with me as I walk into this meeting. I used to say pray on the toilet, but then people think it's weird because I'm in the toilet all the time. I learned it's just better just to pray in your head where you are, you know. But I'm, I read a book by John Burke, and he talks about something called a 60-60 experiment. And it's something I'm on day 10 of at the moment. And I love this. For 60 days, every 60 minutes, my phone will vibrate in my pocket. And when my phone vibrates in my pocket, I spend less than 60 seconds having a quick check-in with God. And it, that's say I'm on day 10, and it's revolution, revolutionising my days, my life. Because I'm finding that I'm connecting with God more. I mean, I haven't got a big fiery alarm that goes off in my pocket. You know, obviously when I'm teaching, I can't have that. I'm not going to get the sack for this. But just a little reminder of quick checking with God. Where are you? Where are God? Where's God? Are you together? A quick 60 seconds, oh, this has happened. A quick 60 seconds, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Please, God, forgive me. A quick 60 seconds, oh, I've just met these people and they're really struggling. God, please be with them. And I'm not doing it, obviously, when I'm asleep. (laughs) I do give myself that time off. But it's a challenge that I thought would be really difficult. And actually, it's not. To spend less than 60 seconds... Every 60 minutes with God is an absolutely easy thing to do. And it is changing the way I'm seeing God. I'm seeing God more and more. Not because he's moving more and I'm praying more. He was there already. But because my heart and my mind is more connected to God, I'm seeing where he's moving more. It's amazing. Mobile phones also have loads of access to social networking sites, which my phone drives me mad of because it started posting my wall posts three or four times. Which if my prayers did that, it looked really weird. <laughs> but do we pray for people in our social networks? The people that are in our areas that we've, we've friended. <laughs> are we prepared for these people that's in our social networks? Are we prepared to offer prayer first and not last after we've gone through all other avenues of advice? Uh, being a teacher, I used to love praying in my classroom before teaching. And I used to work with somebody that was a Christian and they used to pray with me at least once a week in my classroom when we could. And it was fantastic for a while, but this teacher had to go and move on and they've working somewhere else now. And I really missed that prayer time with somebody in my classroom before the day. But what was fantastic was about six weeks ago, there I am preparing my classroom, I was giving out handwriting worksheets for when the children came in and my phone goes in my pocket, it's eight o'clock in the morning and it's this person that I used to work with. And they said, will you pray with me? I'm really struggling today before the children come in and I really just need some prayer. 
we spent four minutes on the phone together and we prayed over the phone. Have a great day, put the phone down, that was it. That was amazing. It made not just my day, but my week. <laughs> Someone wanted to ring up just because they wanted to pray with me. I loved it. I started praying by text to people when I know that they're having a tough time. Sending a lovely prayer of, this is what I'm praying for you. as a bit of an encouragement for their day. You can do it. It's quick, it's easy, it's simple. It's part of your every day. Prayer keeps us connected to God. And that's not just something that's me as an individual, but something that we can do as a community. And we can all be connected to God together. Some people would say that they haven't got the time or the space to make it part of their lives. But my advice is to keep it simple. I'm, I still make it a grand affair and it's, it's not. Keep it simple is keeping it a lifestyle. Something that you can access and do anywhere and everywhere. And that's what prayer can be. And look at the early church. It was the norm for them to make a prayer, to pray when they were making a decision. It was the norm to pray, to pray as a congregation. as one. It was the norm to pray when people were suffering. It was the norm just to turn to God first when they were feeling low. It was the norm to pray for anyone that they came across. And it was the norm for them to make time for prayer. Wow. And I'm sure as I've been talking, you've been sitting there and you've been sitting listening about how these different ways that we can pray. And it's hard not to think about how you pray in your situations. And how often you pray and how you engage in that. And I wanted, the first thing I want to say is don't beat yourselves up about it. Because when I wrote this, I sat there and went, I don't pray enough. I don't do it. But you know what? When you actually think about it, prayer is communication with God. Is there ever going to be such thing as enough? You know what I mean? It's not something to get beaten up about. It's not something to say, I need to do more. It's something to say, let's just do it. We can overcomplicate prayer. We can get hung up, as, as Rachel and Pat this morning, on the language that we use, or the, the length of our prayers, or what we think prayer should be. And we can spend so much time, or we can, if we want to pray for somebody, we get so hung up on trying to predict what their answer is going to be before we pray for them, that we don't do it. I've spent more time debating whether I should pray for people in my life than actually praying for people. And that's not something I want to end my days saying as well. I couldn't help but thinking if I want to live a bigger everyday life, the simple thing is to pray every day. It's a massive part of just your relationship with God because it's talking to God. And I don't think I've got a relationship with anyone I don't talk to. And you might be sitting there this evening and you might be thinking, well, I don't pray, I'm not a Christian, I don't even know if God's real. Now, we had baptisms last week and we heard some fantastic stories of how people have gone on a journey of asking those questions, thinking, where is God? Why is he not moving in our lives? But every story that they told at baptism last week started with a prayer. You might be sitting there asking questions of, is there a God? Ask him. Just reach out and ask him. You might be sitting there questioning where God is in your life. Ask him. Don't sit there wondering. If you want an answer, seek one, pray about it. And I, I, God so st- struck me so much at the power of a prayer 
thinking about um, this council when we were praying before the service about how Zion got started. A group of people in the living room and prayed for a church. And how Zion started with a prayer. So if you're not a Christian, please think this morning. This morning, this evening. You can tell them in church mode. It all starts with a prayer. Don't be afraid to pray and to ask God into your life to see where he is. I think I don't want to go anymore. <laughs> it's really important that we do pray. And I think the honourable thing to do is to, to give over the rest of this evening to prayer. If it all starts with a prayer, then let's pray. You know what I mean? Let's not go home and think I'm going to pray more. Let's pray. You know. So I'm going to invite the, the band to come back up. And we're going to go into a period of prayer. And they're just going to play in the background. And literally, I'm going to ask you guys to pray with each other. We're going to have the ministry team up here. And if you want prayer for something in particular, or you're not particularly comfortable with having the people around you pray, then please come out and the ministry team will pray with you. But I think it'd be even better if where you are with the people around you, that you prayed with them. You took this time to say, you know what, it starts with a prayer. And so we're just going to give over now some time before we go in and just into praying. If you're there this morning and this evening and you're not a Christian, you're thinking, I want to talk about this, I want to pray with somebody. Come out to the ministry and we will pray and we will talk with you. Really feel like you want prayer for them, come out and we will pray with you. But guys, let me encourage you, if you can, turn to the people around you and just as the band play, pray with the people around you. Pray for God to be in each other's lives, in each other's hearts. Because it all starts with a prayer. So as they play, as I say, now, just where you are, get into some groups. The ministry team will come out and let's pray.